Coming up on the Inside Indiana Business Television podcast, Mitch Daniels talks about what comes after Purdue for him. The South Shore Double Track Project moves forward. How can lipid nanoparticles help Indiana's economy? We take a special look at Title IX as it turns 50. How can we get more math teachers in Indiana classrooms? The Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame has a new leader. And we talk about Indiana's top business stories with our partners at the IBJ. Welcome to the Inside Indiana Business Television Podcast. I'm Andy Ober. Mitch Daniels is stepping down as president of Purdue University. What does he see as his biggest accomplishments? What's next for the former governor? And could it include a return to politics? He joined Inside Indiana Business host Gary Dick for an extended interview to look back and look ahead. He certainly uh, surprised a few people, uh, have uh, stirred up a little news with this uh, this announcement. Uh, I understand you, you made the decision uh, to do this maybe in April, just making the announcement uh, a week ago or so now. Any significance to the timing? Why, why now? No special significance. I've uh, uh, been thinking about it for a good long time. I think in such decisions, you got to put the enterprise first. And... Um, I, uh, I believe we've done that through the process and certainly the selection that uh, has been made up here. But uh, you have to do this a little bit on instinct. Uh, you know, Gary, I've uh, often said to people, I think a good rule in such situations is better a year too soon than a day too late. <laughs> and uh, I've still got a few ideas and I think some energy, but uh, I would never want to go stale in the job. And, uh, and I was most conscious of the need to turn the place over um, in good shape to uh, and, in, and put it in strong hands. Yeah, well, we want to talk about what might be next uh, in a moment, but but uh, going in reverse here a decade ago uh, or so, when you went into this job, you were a novice in higher education. As you think back uh, on those early days uh, at, at Purdue, uh, you're a guy who's a change agent, really, in any job you've held over the course of a number of years. What was that like? What was the learning curve like uh, in higher education for Mitch Daniels? Steep. <laughs> I think I'm still climbing it, really. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, I, I must say that the, the people at Purdue were tremendously uh, welcoming, uh, eager to teach a novice. Mm-hmm. I'll say eager to see somebody try some new things. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we're, after all, we're supposed to be a haven. We are a haven uh, uh, of innovation in so many ways. Why not in how we uh, approach our own business? You know, um, I was uh, named at about the same time in 2012 as we have named Mung in, in this year. I had six months uh, to uh, uh, climb that curve you ask about. Made 13 trips to campus, if I counted correctly. Made field trips to other places. Read every book in sight. Uh, got here, I, I always say, in third grade as opposed to kindergarten uh, <laughs> with regard to higher ed. And um, my successor uh, needs no such preparation, but I do think we've made a, a, a good plan by giving him six months to get ready. We're going to talk about your successor and some of your many accomplishments in the second part of our interview. But a lot of people want to know, you say you have energy and some ideas left. Uh, what's next for Mitch Daniels? A lot of speculation on a return to politics. Are you going to get back into the political game, in particular as, uh, with a run for governor? Uh, apparently, a lot of people are thinking about these things and talking about them, but, but I'm not one of those people. And I literally haven't given it a thought and, and won't, uh, 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 whatever might be next, and I hope there will be a next. 
Um, I won't be giving that a thought for quite a long time. I got a lot on the plate right here at Purdue. There will still be things on the plate on December 31. Uh, I'm going to advance them as far as I can. And also, uh, as I say, try to make sure my, uh, my friend Mung gets off to a rocket start. But politics could be in that mix of things that are next for Mitch Daniels. I wouldn't rule it out, Gary, but uh, it's uh, it's I, I assure you it's not the first, second or third uh, thing on my mind. And um, uh, I, I've enjoyed, of course, the chance to to uh, serve in different capacities in the past. I was never obsessed with public office and um, I'm not now. Mitch, I know you're a strong supporter uh, of your successor. What should people know about him? He's brilliant. He won the Maxwell Prize uh, a few years ago as the best American scientist under the age of, of 40. Wow. Uh, he is a, a, a refugee from communism. His, uh, he was born in mainland China and the family escaped. And he knows um, better than many Americans the value of freedom and the, uh, uh, the, the value of uh, the, our free institutions. Uh, he is, uh, I think, ideally suited for the Purdue of today, the Purdue we have tried to build for 10 years, a national a STEM uh, a powerhouse now attracting brilliant students from all over the country in record numbers. And I just think he is perfectly positioned uh, uh, to lead that uh, our university and to lead it for a long time. And he will begin leading uh, January 1 of next year. You mentioned that uh, you talk about the Purdue of today, and certainly it has changed dramatically uh, during your tenure. A lot of things we can point to in terms of accomplishments. Uh, got a lot of attention for freezing tuition uh, for your, uh, the length of your tenure, record numbers in fundraising and innovation and commercialization uh, as well, not to mention the physical makeup of the plant of the uh, campus has changed dramatically. Mitch, as you reflect back, there's a really an unfair question in a lot of ways, but is there one thing, are there one or two things from a legacy standpoint uh, you can point to to really that you really say, hey, I'm really, really proud of, uh, of that thing? It's like asking me to choose among my <laughs> four daughters, Gary, but right. um, I, I, I suppose it, um, one difference that sums up uh, uh, or aggregates many of the other changes is that We've doubled uh, applications here in 10 years. And it was once thought that if, and we've grown the student body by a third or more. It was once thought that if you did that, you would have to trade off quality for quantity and exactly the opposite of, has happened. Um, we are attracting students both from in the state, we have more Hoosiers on campus than we've ever had due to our growth, but also brilliant students from elsewhere and the, the, uh, their academic profile, the, ac the overall academic profile, has risen year after year. Uh, you know, a great assignment for us all is to capture more and more of this talent and keep them here in Indiana in a brain gain uh, mm -hmm. uh, fashion. But um, I, I think those, those phenomena have only happened because so many people have done so, many, uh, uh, so much good work to make this a more exciting, attractive, and and higher visibility, Purdue. Yeah, you, you know, you talk about the brain gain. Uh, in, interesting to me are the partnerships that you have and continue to establish with with high-profile companies, whether it's GE Aviation, Rolls-Royce, Solemn Tech, Saab. You can go on that, down the list. A lot of really strong partnerships in the business sector. Is that part of the future, a bigger part of the future, that connection to the business community and the, the academic world? 
Yes, exactly. One reason that you and I discussed, I remember years ago, that I found this job attractive was that uh, a high-tech uh, a, a center of excellence like Purdue in today's economy is an economic magnet, Is an econo can be an economic engine if it applies itself to that. So we've done that very consciously. Number one, uh, to provide a service to Indiana and to our, uh, our neighboring communities. Uh, Tippecanoe County had the fastest growing per capita income in the country a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. and, and, you, and, you know, as um, President Reagan, you say you ain't seen nothing yet. Uh, we've got, I think, some tremendous new uh, investment, business investments in prospect. By the way, part of his, I think, uh, growth and preparation for this job is we've had Mung involved very directly with me mm -hmm. in these recruitments. So, um, you know, from Purdue standpoint, what this means is the environment around our campus is becoming more and more vibrant, uh, more and more, I hope, uh, appealing to the uh, uh, faculty and the students that, that we want in our future. Well, you still got a few more months on the job. I'm sure we'll be talking uh, uh, to you between now and then and finding out what might be next as well. Mitch Daniels, really appreciate you taking the time to join us, and we look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks, Gary. All right. Riding the rails in northwest Indiana is taking a new direction as the South Shore Double Track Project is moving ahead full steam. Reporter Mary Rachel Redman has the story. Well, the start of a transformation indeed. Governor Eric Holcomb says the $649 million South Shore Double Track project will be a ginormous magnet for growth in Northwest Indiana. Governor Eric Holcomb hard at work as he hammers down a ceremonial golden spike into a section of railroad track in Michigan City this week, marking the beginning of what many are touting as a new era of economic prosperity for Northwest Indiana. We are absolutely positioned for growth, and this project, in my, in my opinion, will help unlock the incredible value proposition that is Northwest Indiana. The South Shore Double Track will make traveling to and from Chicago, the eighth largest economy in the world, 33 minutes faster, making the region an attractive place for new business. It is really a, a, a game-changing event for this town and the other communities up and down the rail lines. Making it easier for people to come to and from Chicago, get the higher-paying jobs, come back to Northwest Indiana, spend the money in our little neck of the world, our little slice of heaven. In fact, the area is already seeing an uptick in development. They see the potential for development in the whole rail corridor and what we have here in Indiana. Governor Holcomb has got a balance sheet of a $5 billion surplus. We're the envy of the country. And not only do we have $1.5 billion going into the rail projects, but there's another almost $3 billion going into private sector development over the next 20 years. It's just a massive infusion of capital into the state, an investment in infrastructure and in quality of place. It, this is going to be a different place here in the next five to 10 years. Take a picture of it today because it won't look like this in the future. Governor Holcomb's office says the extension of the South Shore Line and adjacent projects in the region will generate $2.7 billion in private investment to Northwest Indiana, creating more than 6,000 jobs by 2048. While staying in Northwest Indiana, Harvest Time Family Farm is preparing for a prehistoric invasion. Jurassic Park style, literally, owners Melissa and Josh Sickinger are creating an experience unlike anything you'll find anywhere well, in Indiana, from a T-Rex to the Brontosaurus, Dino Time will be a permanent fixture on the farm featuring over 20 animatronic 
life-size dinosaurs that breathe, blink, and even let out the occasional roar. There's even authentic prehistoric vegetation, and it's all outdoors. The dinos were built in China and are making their way to Indiana by way of Chicago in the next few weeks. It's going to include over 20 uh, life-size animatronic dinosaurs. Uh, you're going to be able to see breathing, their eye movement, uh, their they make their authentic, sounds, authentic yeah. sounds. I think it's definitely a, a unique experience for those in Northwest Indiana and really anybody all over the state. Lowell's very own Jurassic Park at Harvest Time Family Farm is set to open in early August. And finally, in Vigo County, a major victory for the city of Terre Haute. Officials broke ground on the $240 million casino and hotel project being developed by Kentucky-based Churchill Downs. The Queen of Terre Haute Resort will feature a 400,000-square-foot casino and a 125-room hotel. The project is expected to generate nearly $200 million in annual economic impact. And Terre Haute Mayor Duke Bennett couldn't be more excited. It's kind of a once in a lifetime thing in a way for all of us. Um, it's such a huge economic shot in the arm. Here you've got a company that's going to come in and invest $260 million and not ask for any incentives. You know, usually that's what we're kind of used to dealing with when big business wants to come. It's just going to have so many benefits down the road once it opens and once the revenue starts coming in and those kind of things. That's where the exciting part will really kick in, but just the fact that it's real and it's happening. Officials say they hope the casino will open late next year. Lipid nanoparticles are ingredients in medicines that help the healing process. Can they also help grow the economy in Tippecanoe County? Ivonic Healthcare Global Project Manager Yvonne Hurt spoke with Kylie Valletta in the Business of Health. Let's start from the beginning. Uh, this project is to build a new product production facility for lipids. Can you explain what are lipids? Great question. So when I think about lipids, right, you can think of them as tiny bubbles of fat, right? And so the purpose of that is so it prevents degradation in the body, right? It encapsulates the mRNA, and then the mRNA carries the genetic information into the cells. The lipids and mRNA together then form those lipid nanoparticles, which are the golden standard of mRNA delivery. Okay, so almost like uh, vehicles for the mRNA, which I think we all became more familiar with mRNA technology uh, during COVID there and two of the COVID vaccines, uh, but it shows promise beyond COVID. So can you talk a little bit about how these lipids could be used beyond COVID? Absolutely, and so as the future of medicine, mRNA could be used to treat, like you said, more than just COVID. So potential areas could be the flu, Zika, HIV, or even cancer. The production of lipids requires a significant know-how and expertise, as you've probably researched. It's currently actually the most advanced way to deliver drugs. And this is your first lipid production site in the U.S. Explain how its capacity will compare to your lipid production site in Germany. So Ivonic is an expert in drug delivery solutions. We've invested in that technology for years now and have been providing drug product services for many years. Regarding our German sites, Hanau and Dossenheim sites in Germany, there we've been producing lipids since 2021 where we supplied those lipids to BioNTech for its Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine. So to your question, we can produce the same portfolio of lipids as our German sites at our new site in Tippecanoe that will be coming online. 
the pro as far as the capacity, we'll be able to produce more lipids in Tippecanoe than our German sites through our world-scale plant to help meet global demand. All right, really uh, impressive work that will be taking place there in Lafayette. We mentioned this is a $220 million expansion. The government is footing most of the bill, $150 million. Explain how this all points back to pandemic preparedness. Perfect. And so this new facility really ensures a rapid and extensive supply of lipids in case of a future pandemic. What the U.S. is doing then, the U.S. government gets priority access for a 10-year period and most favored customer pricing on those lipids. So, Kylie, in other words, we help ensure that the U.S. is prepared for another pandemic. Okay, so you employ about 650 at your Tippecanoe site now. I understand this project is expected to create about 80 jobs. Uh, just talk a little bit about the impact on the local economy there in Lafayette as a result of this expansion. Right, and you mentioned those 80 jobs, right? They're high paying jobs in the areas of like operations, engineering, supply chain, quality assurance. This new construction jobs during the building phase, it's really gonna be helpful and bring in more to the economy. And quite truly, as you know, Indiana is truly a great place to do business and grow our business here. So we've appreciated all the support from the Indiana Economic Development Corporation and Greater Lafayette. So with this new facility in Indiana, we're excited to help fuel that growth of mRNA therapies well beyond COVID-19 vaccines, which of course in turn supports the local economic growth. All right, Yvonne, congrats on the expansion and good luck, keep us posted. And thanks for being on the show today. Thank you, appreciate it, Kylie. Remember, you can catch Inside Indiana Business Television on stations throughout the state every weekend. Head to InsideIndianaBusiness.com to check listings. Title IX was signed into law in 1972, designed to bring more opportunity to women in education, athletics, and the workplace. We brought together a special panel of insiders to take a deep dive into the landmark legislation's impact over 50 years. The panel includes Indiana Fever President and COO Allison Barber, and Fever Basketball legend, Tease Me Community Cafe co-founder, and 2024 NBA All-Star Board of Directors co-chair, Tamika Ketchings. Allison, you're in Washington, D.C. In fact, I think you're in the Washington Mystics offices uh, as your flight was delayed to get back. So really glad you joined us. Uh, Tamika, you're here in Indianapolis. And, and Tamika, I'll start with you because uh, this is a big week marking uh, Title IX, but also uh, Catch 98, which is a documentary being released uh, on the SEC network. It's debuting this week. Let's run a little clip of that uh, of that uh, special that's going to begin airing this week right now. Me be the best women's basketball player in the history of the game. Another steal. Catchings delivers. She was always the girl that got chose before a lot of the boys. She was just that good. Let me tell you a story. I knew that there was something very special about her. About when greatness chases perfection. You are seeing a clinic in that is a piece on the undefeated 97-98 Tennessee team, 39-0. What do you remember about that? And the fact that without Title IX, None of that would have happened. Well, that's exactly what it is, Jerry. Without Title IX, that would not have happened, and we wouldn't have had the opportunity to play. And for myself, being able to compete for a national championship, and so definitely so blessed, blessed to be a part of that team in particular, being able to get sweet. We, that was history. Uh -huh. And early on, before social media got here, before all the opportunities that we have now, that was just the beginning. Yeah, and, and I know um, you've been on uh, Twitter, social media, talking with other athletes around the SEC. What's kind of the the the, the, the vibe, the, the the talk right now, uh, marking this uh, occasion 50 years ago for uh, for Title IX? What, uh, what what are folks saying? 
Well, the biggest thing is the opportunity. And, you know, the athletes that I'm getting the opportunity to now be alongside, they're still in college. So the NIL and mm-hmm. being able to kind of navigate the land that they're in, things that we didn't have to, I didn't have to navigate NIL. I didn't have to navigate social media. So it's a totally different world. But because of Title IX, because of the fair opportunities, because of equity, now these young ladies are being able to experience a lot of the things that we didn't get the chance to experience. Yeah. Allison, as I mentioned, you're in D.C. You were there for uh, a big event this week marking uh, Title IX. Tell us about that, uh, that event and some of your big takeaways from the celebration uh, out in D.C. this week. Well, Gary, the Billie Jean King, the First Lady, were uh, with us at an event yesterday honoring Title IX and then also women from around the world who have taken the theme of Title IX and used sports to advance society in many countries, um, over 60-some countries. But what was really special as a Hoosier was to hear Billie Jean King talking about her admiration and friendship with Senator Birch Bayh. And, you know, we talk about Title IX, it's 37 words, but in that line, she said that Senator Bai said, they wrote the word that said no person should be uh, subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity. She said, Birch Bai said they put in activity as a catch-all in case they forgot anything. And every time she would see him, she would praise him for the word activity because that's what opened the door to sports. Yeah. Originally, Title IX was about opportunity to education. But by including activity, as Senator Bai did and Patsy Mink from Hawaii, they opened the door for sports. And, you know, it was special to be here and celebrate the vision that people had, our own Senator Bai and many others to pursue it. And what Billie Jean says is that, you know, we need to respect it and protect it. There's so much more to do in this space, but we've come a very long way. And it's exciting to see it's great for our fever players. Gary, you talked about the number of girls who play sports. How about the fact that before Title IX, only 10% of females had held doctorate degrees, mm-hmm. and now 54%. And one of our own players, Kelsey Mitchell, is pursuing her doctorate degree. Mm-hmm. Or Lexi Hall on our fever team has her bachelor's and master's in science and engineering yeah. at, from Stanford. So education and sports, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity because of Title IX. And you're one of those people with, with a doctorate. And again, something that would likely not have happened without that, this uh, legislation. Gary, that's right. You know, Birch Bay was so passionate because his wife got turned down to mm-hmm. medical school. Right. And so, you know, this is it's not that long ago. And now we know, according to Ernst and Young, 96% of female executives, C-suite executives, played sports. So what a great pathway. And I, I can't help but share this story. It's a big story about how female executives played sports. But this week in one of our basketball camps, a mother came up to us and said that her daughter had three near-death experiences. And, a doc- and two broken legs. It was dramatic for her, but she caught on to the game of basketball and was so inspired by it, wanted to play, and her coach said she could never play. She determined to play. She lost 47 pounds, and she's on two basketball teams. And so I say that's why. That's Title IX at work, and that's why Tamika and I are so passionate about protecting and promoting right. the game of basketball. Yeah, uh, Tamika, Allison mentioned uh, work still needs to be done, and I, I thought back to, I think it was a couple of years ago, uh, the, the, the visuals of the, of the uh, women's Final Four uh, weight area uh, at the Final Four versus the guys, and those, th- th- that was something that kind of stood out. As you look at going forward and maintaining or improving or continuing to enhance uh, this whole thing, is there, is there work to be done? Uh, what needs to be done in your view? 
Yeah, there's definitely work to be done. And I think you look at that, that was an unfortunate situation that happened. And obviously last year, the NCAA definitely stepped up and was able to come through. But it's stories like that. And you think about social media and the power of social media and what can happen. Our job and really what we're fighting for, especially with the WNBA and the collegiate game and, and so forth, I don't want those situations to happen. We want there to be equity across the board. We want to make sure that our young ladies are getting served just like the men are. And it's terrible that we have to keep comparing the mm -hmm. men to the women, but it is what it is until there is total equality for all. And I think that's one situation. But even as we continue, just being able to have access. Mm -hmm. I think that when you look at the coverage for women's sports in general, and you know, of course I always talk about basketball, but when you look at the coverage for women's sports overall, that's an area that mm -hmm. we definitely need to continue to improve the support, viewership, sponsorship, partnership. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can go on and on talking about this just because I've been mm – -hmm. <laughs> Alice and I have been in the foxhole trying to figure out ways to continue to grow the fever here in Indiana, but this is definitely not just Indiana fever. This is across the board, women's sports being able to provide more access for all of our young ladies. All right, uh, Allison, we've only got 30 seconds left. Tamika, uh, no better example of a role model. Uh, talk about that, if you could, just briefly, in, in terms of the impact of role models that have been generated because of Title IX and, and the girls and women who served as, as role models for other girls and women. Well, for me, I mean, my role models growing up, my mom was my first role model, my grandmother, my mother. But then when I looked at sports, Daily, Lisa Leslie and Cheryl Swoop, because of what they represented, not only as strong women, but for me, strong African-American women yeah. playing in the Olympics and being able to represent our country. Those were my heroes. Yeah. Uh, Allison, I'll give you the final word on role models and the impact. I will say, you know, I look at our own state, Sue Elsperman, Pamela Whitten, Dale Boudreau, women who played sports or have been affected by education to succeed in so many ways. But I can't end this without a little... Tip to Tamika and, and Pat Summit. Tamika said it is what it is, and Pat Summit used to say it is what it is until it is what we make it. Mm. And that's what we're busy doing is making it better for girls and the future of women in sports and, and society. A great way to end the conversation. Great perspective. Uh, Allison Barber, uh, CEO, President of the Indiana Fever, Hall of Famer, Tamika Ketchings. Thank you both, and thanks for all you do for Indiana as well. The numbers aren't adding up. Why aren't there enough math teachers in Indiana classrooms? And more importantly, what's being done to solve the problem? XR Technology CEO Kevin Burkopes joined us in our Ion Education segment. Tee this up, uh, this shortage. I mean, we hear broadly about a shortage of teachers, but in particular math uh, teachers. How, how bad is the situation? Well, it's, it's 10 years or 20 years really in the making, but the pandemic really exacerbated everything that... Uh, de-incentivized people to want to not be a part of the education system. You can imagine what it was like in the last three years in classrooms with students or not in classrooms. Um, the only two positions that are more um, more difficult to fill than, than mathematics are uh, frankly, school leaders and, and special education. So mm -hmm. it's one of those top that is cro cross-content domain. And you feel this that crisis is not an overstatement when you talk about it? Uh, yeah, I think it's beyond crisis. We have you know nearly 300 open positions in Indiana today. These are publicly funded positions, right? Mm -hmm. they, they are paid by tax dollars to uh, 
have really quality professionals in place and there isn't anyone coming. Now, XR Technologies uh, uh, positioned to uh, address this in a big way. First of all, give us the, the, the thumbnail, the business model of XR Technologies. Yeah, it's, it's nuanced for people to understand. I think the best way to say it is it's a math department as a service, which is very different mm -hmm. than what you would see on the open market. Uh, we run all or part of the mathematics departments for our school partners. We offer the professional, uh, we wrap them with what we call XR Flex, which is a service um, that is a flexible blended learning. Mm -hmm. And it allows them to be a relative novice or new to education and, and uh, perform admirably with students. So big news for you, receiving $5 million from the Indiana Department of Education uh, to train math teachers uh, to go into the classroom. That's, uh, that's a lot of money. Well, it shows a lot what, uh, what the state of Indiana is trying to do in terms of innovating. There's a, there's a different way of thinking about how to get innovation into our education system. The Department of Education is leading with the idea that they can incentivize through grant funding and, and other things to get schools to try something new. We all want something new. To get the system to try something new is, is important and uh, it's given us a huge opportunity to scale. And as you talk about the focus on STEM, on science, technology, engineering, and math and fueling that pipeline, that makes it maybe more of a sense of urgency to, to solve this issue. Well, think about the pipeline in a different way. Um, the education system right now in K-12 is leading to higher ed, which leads to the pipelines that we hear about, right? The Indy Tech scene, among other things. They have a crisis of hire as, as uh, quality candidates for IT and software development, among other things. What if we use the education system as a, a process where we can benefit dually both the professionals that are there, but also the, the students that are there? Um, training and developing the capacity and up-credentialing uh, people that are in our community to drive great value for students is duly beneficial. It's a place where we think we can attract a lot of people through the right incentives to work in education and then um, Mm -hmm. potentially move on to something else after uh, yeah. several years of value. Yeah, uh, I should mention too, uh, part of this uh, $5 million uh, is a licensure program, right? Uh, which you're gonna be uh, a part of and really is unique in the country. Yeah, so XR Academy for Teachers is what we call that. And the Indiana Department of Education, the State Board of Education gave us approval on uh, May 4th. And then where and how that works is, is really important. Um, it's competency-based, which means we can employ teachers at schools. Uh, they get competency for the work that they're doing and the training that we do to make sure they're excellent mathematics teachers. That first academic year, they get full-time salary benefits, stock options with our company, but they also uh, up their credential and get a licensure. Mm -hmm. Very important uh, issue and topic, uh, and that's producing more math teachers in Indiana. XR Technologies uh, really addressing the problem. And Kevin Burkhope says, always, thanks for joining us. We look forward to following your story. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate right. you. The Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame houses legends like Larry Bird, Slick Leonard, Stephanie White, and more. The Indiana Treasure now has a new leader. Matt Martin spoke with Bill Benner on Inside Indiana Sports. The Executive Director of the Hall of Fame, how's that sound? Sounds pretty prestigious. It's uh, it's an honor. It's I'm excited to, to take on the role. But again, Chris left me big shoes to fill, and, and I'm excited to continue his journey. Well, talk about you. You've been athletic director at Knightstown. You you played basketball back in the day at Knightstown. So I was on the team. We we talked about that. I, I didn't play a whole lot, but yes, I went to Knightstown. Graduated from Purdue. Um, was fortunate enough then to come back as athletic director at Knightstown for the past eight years. Again, I use the word fortunate a lot with Chris, and then I was fortunate enough to be on the uh, IHSA executive committee, which I currently uh, have to give up that seat, but serve on that until uh, July one. 
um, was chairman of that during the 1920 uh, school season. So it's been a fun ride, and, and they, again, this is just this journey um, in Indiana basketball is exciting to see where it goes next. Well, uh, with the Hall of Fame in, in, in uh, Newcastle, and, and you're in Knightstown, so it'll be a short commute, but uh, talk about, uh, again, what attracted you to this particular position. You know, I taught history. I was an education, or history education major. Again, Indiana basketball. What better two to tie those then than the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame? Just the tradition of coaches and players. Um, being an official myself as well, uh, the officiating side of that is uh, to the hall. Uh, just the again, the richness of Indiana basketball. Being able to share that with people across the state. My goal, as I said in, in my interview and in talking with people at the, at the golf outing we just finished, was to show that it's all 92 county based. It's not a Central Indiana organization, get up to you know Crown Point in the region, get down to Evansville and the southern part of the state, just to promote basketball and kind of highlight what everything uh, is about in Indiana, which is, you know, the big step is basketball. I think uh, something we talked about before you went on, we went on the air, uh, this is a, it's not just, it's a full time, you guys are doing events all the time. You got the, the basketball Hall of Fame Classic uh, in, in December, you got golf tournaments, uh, you put on the annual induction banquets. I mean, it's, it's a full time endeavor for sure. It is. And when talking to Chris, you know, uh, sensory overload right now with everything I'm, I'm trying to learn and, and be a part of, but it, it, it will be a lot of events, a lot of fun, full-time job, again, traveling the state, getting to basketball games. We've got our three major golf outings, the Southern, which we just finished, the Kokomo with Coach Versa uh, here coming up, and then, again, the highlight of it all in Noblesville. December, we've got the Hall of Fame games, both the men's and women's. Um, and then it is fundraising to get the hall, being there to when visitors come, and, you know, explaining the rich tradition of Indiana basketball. Schools individuals that come off you know off the street whatever it might be just highlighting what we have matt we got less than a minute talk about i know there's an expansion plan for the hall of fame in newcastle we are we're going to meet with the contractors here soon um, a floor plan expansion that will just again increase and expand what we can highlight what we can show maybe bring some of those things out of the the woodwork that we can um, have interactive displays those types of things so really again trying to highlight Indiana basketball to another step. Well, Matt Martin, we certainly congratulate you on your on your new leadership role with the Hall of Fame. It's an, it's an Indiana treasure. It's an iconic place. And if you haven't been there, folks, uh, get there. Matt, congratulations. Thank you, sir. And finally this week, Country Kitchen in Indiana plans to rebuild. And how are global tech layoffs hitting local firms? We check in on these stories and more with IBJ editor Leslie Weidenbenner. Mickey Shuey broke a big story on the Indy 11's uh, new uh, soccer stadium. A site has been selected downtown. Yeah, and you know, it's an interesting site, Gary, because you might not necessarily think of this spot, which is currently a factory, as a great place for not only a soccer stadium, but also a development. But when you really take a look around, you know, it's just a few blocks from so many amenities. And then to top it off, it's right along the river and right across the White River will be the new Elanco headquarters. And it's interesting because uh, the, already the plan was to create a bridge at Henry Street. And when that extension happens, it's going to come right along the south end of the new 11 park when it's finished. Yeah, that is uh, has a potential to be, again, transformational is used a lot, but for that part of uh, the city could be transformational indeed. And this is about more than soccer. We talked about this. This is a multi-dimensional uh, development. Sure, the whole idea behind this development is that there are a lot of other components. And in fact, that's key to the financing uh, scheme for the soccer stadium. 
tax revenue that's collected in the in the residential part, in the commercial part, the hotel, um, the office space, all of that will go to help pay off the bonds to build the stadium. Okay, uh, a lot of people are going to want to know about the timeline. Uh, how soon could things get going and, and uh, maybe this uh, development, at least phase one, be up and running? So Diamond Chain is actually still operating within the plant, even though they don't own it anymore. They are planning to move out probably within the next six to eight months. The, in the Keystone Group is hoping to start demolishing the existing buildings in the spring with the goal of getting the first phase of the project done in a couple of years in time for the 2025 Indy 11 season. Okay, you've got some other stories, uh, uh, very interesting stories in this week's edition, including some looming potentially uh, tech layoffs. Yeah, we're starting, and I, we've reported a couple of times that there's some tightening in venture funding for tech companies right now. I think you're seeing that slowdown in the stock market as well. That's starting to affect our local tech companies as well. And we're seeing some layoffs, especially in some startups. But what we found when we talked to folks that have been laid off is they still see a ton of opportunities. And the experts say that this is a chance for large companies, non-tech mm -hmm. firms who need tech workers, as well as small companies to finally scoop up a little bit of the talent that has been so hard to find for the last few years. Absolutely. Hey, we only have 15 seconds. I mentioned Country Kitchen, kind of a, an iconic restaurant here in Indianapolis, rebuilding. You're going to talk about that as well. That restaurant burned down a couple of years mm -hmm. ago, and they are break, they've broken ground again, and they're going to rebuild in the neighborhood. And that's just such a neighborhood hotspot and such a great cultural icon. All right, jam-packed with information this week. Uh, the IBJ, Leslie Weidenbenner, as always, thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. Thanks so much, Gary. That wraps up this week's Inside Indiana Business television podcast. Remember, you can find all of this week's TV segments, as well as the top business news from throughout the state, at InsideIndianaBusiness.com. While you're there, you can also subscribe to our platform of free e-newsletters. This is Andy Ober for Inside Indiana Business.